0: Go on, then. What are we watching? Oh, what about, uh... End the, uh, with Skystream. The new way to get Sky without a dish. Stream unmissable Sky exclusives like True Detective and Netflix shows like The Gentleman, all in one place. for just 25 euro a month for 12 months. Search Skystream today. New customers only. 12-month minimum term requires broadband. Further terms apply chachten an indo asgeliger Time im on irok die end of chacht er a chor agusuliger am markansch gorfeder in uik kart len winterth skilti fis Turmi. tache dochret nach ara igornamion un keschin ekol die entalemignomgrav orcornractum iatukset horn greven orcarston elist du fracht now even our own third oxygen, then Marav. Shachten, find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Hi, welcome to The Big Tech Show. It's me, Adrian Weckler, tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent. And today I've got a load of stuff to talk about. I've some stuff to get off my mind about whether tech companies should be doing more in Irish cities because they're dominating more and more and more. And I'm also going to go through a practical guide as to what I think are the best camera phones at the moment based on my experience with them. And I own all of them. Uh, And also the best general summer tech product. So I've uh, had the DJI's Mavic Air drone, for example, for a while. I'm going to run you through the pros and cons of that. I'm going to talk about the the best cameras to take on holidays. I'm going to talk about things like uh, e-readers as well, portable speakers, and even portable power banks. So I hope you'll stick with me for the next 45 minutes. If you want to go straight to the product stuff, by the way, you just skip right through. I think it's about 13 or 14 minutes in and you'll get right to the product stuff. But first, I'd like to talk just for a couple of minutes about big tech companies that are operating in Irish cities and what their responsibilities are to the communities that uh, they are in. Now, as you know, companies like Facebook and Google and Twitter and Salesforce and Microsoft and all these huge companies are largely located in... Let's talk about Dublin for a second. They're largely located in areas that are reasonably well off, but that's starting to change. Like Facebook has a big, huge new building in uh, North Wall, which is quite a strong working class area. And all of a sudden, what you're seeing, of course, is rents and property prices shooting up there, Uh, a certain amount of gentrification happening. And many would argue that's a good thing, that that's going to bring services and a certain amount of resources and wealth to the area. Others will obviously feel a little bit uh, priced out and squeezed out of the area because particularly those who have kids growing up in the area who feel that their kids you know, won't realistically have a chance to buy a house in uh, the same area that they live. But I want to talk about one particular thing in issue, uh, in, uh, specifically, and that is the idea of whether these big tech companies, wherever they're located, whether they should be giving more back to the cities or the communities that they're located in. Now, big tech companies have a thing called um, CSR, which is community and social—sorry, res- corporate social responsibility—and that essentially is the idea that they will set aside a certain amount of money or time uh, or resources to engage in worthy causes. And all of these companies do—not just in tech, but corporately generally big companies uh, do this and many will actually include it in their their marketing spiel and, and it, a lot of them do in Dublin as well but I'd like to ask the question as to whether it's proportionate to um, what the companies are making and their huge unprecedented wealth and one example I thought of was uh, in the early 1900s Uh, The One company dominated Dublin at that time, and that was Guinness. Now, Dublin was a a very, very different city. It was an impoverished city. Um, Social housing was non-existent. Conditions were terrible. There was real hunger. Um, You know, conditions were absolutely awful. But Guinness was booming. And so uh, what the company did was, um, through offshoots like the Ivy Trust, and other initiatives, it actually started to build houses for people, not just for its own workers, but it it built what would now be regarded as shelters, homeless shelters as well. And it does raise um, comparisons to the big companies of today. Now, you know, the society we have today is in no way like the society we had then. And you could also Uh, Make uh, valid criticism of the context environment that Guinness was doing this at the time was a much more patrician era where people, by and large, were assigned, you know, very very strict places in society by comparison with today, and nobody really wants to go back to that era. You could argue even that Guinness was doing this in their own long term interest because it was in their interest to to have relatively healthy stable communities you know from which they could draw uh, labor uh, and to maybe at the extreme end to avoid things like uprisings and revolutions of which there were very many um, around that period but does that mean that the giants of today you know the googles the facebooks are exempt from Uh, or or shouldn't aspire to similar principles? I don't don't honestly know the answer to that question, but I think it is worth um, asking that question. And before I get into uh, the specific companies in Dublin, you can look at other cities around the world where big companies that are anchored there give an awful lot back to their communities. Now, there are some extreme examples. You've got small cities like Wolfsburg in Germany which as you know is home to Volkswagen and there are about 70,000 people there directly employed by Volkswagen and Volkswagen consequently it's the life and soul of the city it's it does everything from sponsor the the area's Bundesliga football team uh, to supplementing all sorts of stuff as a result Wolfsburg is actually one of Germany's richest cities but it doesn't really have any significant social or infrastructure problems uh, compared to um, a lot of other places. There are towns and cities in the U.S. where you could make the same example. There was the American town of Endicott, for example, in New York State, was once basically run by IBM. Something like 90% of the town's residents actually worked for the giant tech company. Today, you look at uh, cities like Seattle, where... um, Amazon employs some 40,000, 45,000 people. Uh, Microsoft has roughly the the same amount of staff there. Both of those companies are located in the city. Uh, Microsoft sponsors the local MSL team, the Seattle Sounders. Amazon has just donated a big chunk of its uh, one of its newest, swankiest downtown buildings to um, a homeless uh organization called Mary's Place. And we actually have a special coming up on that. So I won't go into that, into too much detail. But this is the kind of community response that companies that feel that they're anchored in a city um, traditionally do. So let's, now let's look at Ireland again. So we've a lot of multinational tech companies. They tend to be the big employers. Now we we have our own homegrown companies here as well, like, you know, um, uh, Kerry and... um, uh what's this? A CRH the cement uh, roadstone holdings and and companies like that um but if you look at say dublin dublin almost 10,000 people in dublin are employed by just one of two companies tech companies facebook and google google has almost 7,000 people facebook is coming up on uh, 3,000 and if you were to pinpoint the key companies I'd say more than anyone else more than Microsoft or Amazon or um, you know Workday all of which are important significant relatively high employing companies but I'm not sure any of them attract other smaller companies or other people into Dublin in the way that Google and Facebook do in terms of the ecosystem that has grown up in the last five years so and that's all great that's an anchor policy of Irish industrial strategy over the last 10 to 20 years. The question, though, is should these big tech companies, which have done very well, which have benefited Dublin, but which have done very well out of Dublin, should they be giving more back to society? Now, these companies would say that they do engage in uh, social responsibility or CSR programs. Google, for example, last year gave Uh, 750,000 euro to various causes with about another half a million to a charity called Camara, which teaches tech in schools. And it also supported a handful of other initiatives uh, through staff time or office resources and Facebook uh, on a slightly smaller scale, but fairly similar. It raised around 150,000 euro last year for various causes. It it, it helps with school programs and sometimes gives access to its office uh, to students and other groups for uh, workshops, And then you have other smaller companies in Dublin, like Salesforce, which say that they have a company-wide program, like their 1% pledge to, to ask people to give up 1% of their wealth of their time to, to worthy causes. Um, it's not just Dublin, by the way. You go to a city like Cork, and you you've, you've the dominant employer full stop there is the, the local tech giant, which is Apple. Uh, and that has arrangements with local schools. Um it, it helps out some local schools. Employees have raised about four hundred thousand euro for various local charities. Volunteered over five thousand hours. Um, these are I, I checked with these companies before making this podcast, so th- this is what they told me that they do. They have a, Apple has a matching gifts program as well in Cork. So there's a lot of goodwill throughout these companies, and particularly among their staff, to the notion of giving back. I'm asking the question whether this feels a little bit like you know a series of micro programs like limited small gestures that individuals within the companies want to do rather than large scale corporate plans for local local communities in other words whether it feels you know whether whether giving 150,000 euro to a local charity, is that commensurate with the extraordinary success or wealth um, that a company like, you know, Facebook has in Dublin or Ireland? Now, the reason I'm asking this as a question is because there would be many who would say that this is absolutely reasonable for these tech companies to um, have this level of engagement with, uh, you know, giving back to the community and no more, Um for example they might say that look should 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 we be trying to build a system where tech companies become responsible for things like you know societal issues such as homelessness or a lack of affordable uh, housing uh, in the areas um that's obviously it's clearly the state's responsibility it's not um companies responsibility we don't really want to go back to a time like 1910 or 1920 when we're relying on giant companies like Guinness to fix our social ills. Even, even still, you do feel that there might be something more that these big companies can do. And I'm not oh, totally sure what that is. I mean, does that mean... Sponsoring a major event like BT, for example. BT sponsors the Young Scientists um, competition every year. Now, I'm not exactly sure how much that costs, but I think it's considerably more than 100 or 200,000 euro. And yes, you could argue that BT does that for brand associations, so that it will be attached to emerging innovation technology, and that, you know, even maybe down the line that students might think of BT as a place to to go uh, to work. Um, But there's maybe more to it than that for a company like BT. And I do wonder whether um, tech companies should be getting a little bit more involved, maybe sponsoring teams, maybe getting involved in things that don't necessarily pay off for them uh, in the long run, like going in to give coding classes in schools. That's all very worthy, but that does feel very much like a long-term investment rather than uh, some sort of um, idea to help out in the community. Now, I might be wrong. If you think I'm wrong, I think I'm being harsh here, please do contact me at Adrian Weckler on Twitter, A-D-R-I-A-N-W-E-C-K-L-E-R, or you can email me at aweckler at independent.ie. If you work for a tech company and you think that uh, you're doing some great stuff, do let me know. Uh, Also, and would be happy to to tell your story. Um, But I'll just leave you with this thought on this topic, and that is that you know, the tech companies, something like seven of the ten biggest companies in the world now are the tech companies that you know—they're like Google, Facebook, Microsoft, Intel. These are the biggest companies in the world. It doesn't feel on the ground that they are the most engaged companies. Um, in the world in terms of getting involved on the ground with communities and maybe they should do a little bit more to uh, to remedy that. Now I'm going to turn to uh, what the best camera phones are at the moment because it's the summertime and uh, you probably aren't going to buy a camera, you're probably going to rely on your your phone uh, which begs the question which is the best phone to buy. I have in fact, I know what the three best phones are to buy because I've tested pretty much all of them. Um, I have uh, the three anchor phones from uh, Apple, Samsung, and Huawei, and I'm in a pretty good position to say which one is the best. So I'm going to start with the the three best camera phones you can buy at the moment are Huawei's P20 Pro, uh, uh, Apple's iPhone 10 or X, and Samsung's S9 Plus. In order, in terms of one, two, three, the best is probably Huawei's P20 Pro. P20 Pro. And I'm gonna tell you why. Now it's a tight call between those three phones and each of them have considerable strengths. And if you, no matter which one you get, you're not going to get bad photos and you're not going to regret uh, your purchase because some of them have uh, other strengths that are not related to the camera that would make you want to buy them any uh, anyway. However, uh, let's go through the, the best phones and why they're the best camera phones. So the first is Huawei's P20 Pro. Now, you can't get beyond you've got to start with the specifications of the Huawei P20 Pro. They're pretty insane. So Huawei's placed a 40-megapixel F16 uh, sensor on there, meaning essentially the amount of detail that you get in each shot is going to be generally better than what you'd normally expect from a phone. The other thing is that it has three lenses on the back of the phone. the first phone to have, have three different lenses. So we're used to seeing two different camera lenses on the back of the, the top flagship phone. This one has three uh, lenses. Um, the first one is a 40 megapixel sensor, as I've said, and the two other ones are an 8 megapixel telephoto uh, camera and a 20 megapixel black and white lens, uh, and that helps in terms of detail when you're zooming uh, in and out. And um, the, the other thing is that the telephoto lens, telephoto lens is a 3x optical zoom, in other words, it zooms in uh, three times as much. The best that any other camera could do at the moment is to zoom in twice as much, typically from a 28 millimeter to a 50 millimeter. This has a 3x optical zoom, it's not a digital zoom. so. You've just got a lot more flexibility with this than you do with uh, the other top uh, camera phones. Um, the one thing I would say, the one wow factor, other than the specifications that the, that the P20 Pro has, is when you go to what it, its night setting, its night mode. Essentially, you point uh, the phone at something for a few seconds in dark conditions and if there's any light source at all, like a window, a neon sign a street light, the camera will build on that light. It essentially takes several photos and stacks them into one shot that includes way more detail than you'd normally get from even the best uh, phone camera. Now it does mean that you have to hold your phone for about two seconds but the stabilisation in the phone means that there's no blur and you get this kind of incredible photo um, that uh, when you show it to people, they're, they're kind of blown away. I was certainly blown away by it and continue to be um, blown away by it. Um, the, the only thing, the only downside, I would say, is that the selfie camera is probably overkill. It's a 24 megapixel selfie camera. You really don't need that. Um, other than that, I'd say the Huawei P20 Pro is definitely the best camera phone out there. As for the second and third best, for me, it's a toss-up between the iPhone X and Samsung's S9+. Plus. I'll start with the Samsung device. The the camera on this is really, really superb, particularly in low light. And that's because it has a trick that's somewhat similar to Huawei's, where it stacks up to 12 photos, 12 separate shots, in the time that you've taken one single photo and because it has so much power under the hood it can uh, get the, the very best detail from each of these uh, photos and eliminates a lot of the noise so what you get is what appears like a normal photo um, in incredibly low light conditions um, it's, it's, it's incredibly impressive um, the phone also has super slow motion at 960 frames per second which to be honest i don't use um nevertheless it's it's a very very impressive thing to, to to have at your disposal um there are two rear cameras on it both of which have optical Im- image stabilization and one of its lenses goes down to kind of an amazing f15 meaning that it lets in more light physically than any rival device including the huawei 20 pro samsung is just very good at putting cameras on its phones and uh, the, the S9 plus is, you know, is, is a credit a creditable example of that. And the last best camera phone is the iPhone 10 or the iPhone X. And it's kind of weird to think of the iPhone 10 because it seems only like a few months ago it was introduced. This is the one with no home button where it uses you know face ID for you to open and, and the phone and, and download apps, et etc. Um, and yet, in as i talk within 8 weeks we're going to see a new iphone 10 uh, replacement possibly uh, the iphone 10 will stop being made but the new according to the rumor mill there's three new top end uh, flagship phones that will use face id a bit like uh, the iphone 10 but the, the the existing iphone 10 has two 12-megapixel cameras on the back, one with a, a wide-angle 28mm, the other with a telephoto 50mm view. But unlike the iPhone 8 Plus, which is the same basic setup, the telephoto lens, the 50mm one, is stabilized, which means that if you want to take a photo of something far off, there's much less of a chance that it will be blurry because the uh, the photo is uh, stabilized. Um, the iPhone ten has two advantages over the samsung and the huawei the first is its video generally speaking apple does video better than anyone else so when you if you're ever if you're on a plane for example and you're taking one of those shots when you're taking off or you're landing you'll notice that there's almost no shake at all even if the the plane is shaking because apple's video stabilization just beats everybody else's and that's really handy if you want to take uh um, video of like kids or you're at an event or you're in a bumpy environment like a car or a plane. Uh, it's a big advantage. The other big advantage that the iPhone has um, is that it uh, it has this amazing panorama mode. Now most cameras have a panorama mode where you, you start usually start left to right and you, you pan your camera uh, about 180 degrees and it stitches together for this kind of wide angle shot. By far Apple's iPhones are the best at doing this to the extent where I often don't pack a wide angle lens when I'm going on holidays because I know that if I bring an iPhone, it will do the same thing and I'll get absolutely fantastic uh, results from it. Um, The last thing the iPhone has going for it is that its overall software and color rendering and the overall way that Apple deals with photos, I find to be slightly more consistent than either Samsung or Huawei. Samsung sometimes defaults towards overexposing photos. Um, Huawei is physically, has physically the best photos in terms of the resolution and detail and if you wanna blow something up. But unless you're on something like night mode, it doesn't always match the iPhone for consistency with, with colors. So um, that's the advantage the iPhone has. It, it's not quite as, it doesn't have as much of a wow factor for individual shots as, for example, the Huawei P20 Pro, but it is more consistent at doing some of the smaller things. And you are less likely to get a bad shot on an iPhone than you are, in my, in my experience anyway, with any of the other um, phone systems. So, in that order, I would probably then say it's Huawei P20 Pro, then the iPhone 10 and then the Samsung S9 Plus. If you're looking for a budget option, because all those phones do cost around, you know, between €900 and €1,000, I think the P20 Pro is available for a little bit cheaper now. Um, You might try Nokia's new 7 Plus. It's only €399 if you buy it sim-free, and it also has uh, two uh, decent cameras on the back, ones that 12 megapixel wide angle and there's a 13 megapixel uh, zoom lens on it lets in quite a lot of light and it's just a very decent system for something that's under half the price of the others. So those are my camera phone choices at the moment. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about some other summer gadgets, summer tech that uh, you might want if you're going on holidays or just want to mess around with while we have these long days and warm days. The first one I'm going to start with is the latest drone, which is DJI's Mavic Air, which I've been playing with for about a month, and overall, off, I'll say straight off the bat, this is worth getting. It's if you're if you're interested in buying a drone, this is the best drone that you can get for um, you know around about a thousand euro or under a thousand euro. It's not perfect, and I'll go through its cons, but just to say that generally, uh, overall, the footage is excellent. You've a choice of either four K or. Uh, full HD 1080p or 720p footage. By the way, I always default to 1080p instead of 4K. Why? Because the files are much more manageable in size. You get the same benefit in terms of frame rates and all the rest of it are almost the same benefit. And any of the platforms that I upload to, like YouTube or Twitter or Instagram, you, you actually... There's really hardly any difference in, in 4K and 1080p unless you're playing it back on a 40-inch TV, which almost nobody that looks at any of my stuff, I'm pretty sure, um, uh, plays back on. So, but the footage is fantastic. It has a number of really significant improvements over the previous small drone, which is a DJI Spark, which I also own. I bought last year when it when it was um, released. Um, those ex- the, those improvements uh, are specifically. First of all, the battery is bigger in it, which means longer battery life, so you will get about 13 or 14 minutes per flight or per charge out of the battery here. Um, The drone itself folds so that the propeller wings, the propeller arms actually fold into the drone, which makes it easier to transport and you will want to bring this places last year i brought the spark to the us i brought it down to places in rural ireland to fly and it was actually quite easy because it has its own little box and it's quite a small drone this is even easier to pack and uh, bring places with you even though you will get better um, battery life uh, uh, out of it Um, also small things like connecting it to a phone is easier it means you don't have to keep switching all the connections so if you haven't flown one of these drones before typically you uh, will attach a phone to it either wirelessly or via a wire and this one attaches via a wire uh, and that way you can see what the drone is seeing through its camera on your phone when it's attached to the remote control um, with the Spark, you had to connect it wirelessly to your phone to do this. Um, with this model, you, you don't. You, you, it just plugs right into either your Android phone um, or your iPhone. Um, there are a couple of minuses to it. Uh, it doesn't connect at anything like the advertised four kilometers away. Uh, and I've, I've, I've put footage up uh, on social, my, my social media platforms to show this as soon as it in my experience as soon as it gets around 700 yards away from you the signal starts to get very flaky and it will cut out absolute maximum kilometer I never made it beyond a kilometer Um, that's because of the radio frequencies that it uses essentially it's a form of Wi-Fi, as I understand it uses and that's just not as good Um, if you want to fly it further than that you're going to have to get mavic pro which is the next step up which is a few hundred euro uh, more expensive but it's bigger and it's bulkier and you won't be able to to bring it as many places the other um qualifying thing on this drone is that it's only okay in the wind i mean i've flown as i said the spark which is an even smaller drone and that's actually pretty good in wind it, it holds up very well the, the Mavic Air is not better in wind than the Spark is, even though it's a bit bigger. And that surprised me a little bit because normally the rule is the bigger and heavier it is, uh, the better it's going to be in wind. I also own a DJI Phantom 4, which I bought two years ago, and that is three times the size, or four times the size of the Mavic Air, and that's really good in wind. But the Mavic Air is not good in wind. Um, the third qualifier is, and you could say this about a lot of drones, but it's especially true of something like the Mavic Air, there's no point in buying the basic version of this drone. You, need, you absolutely have to have a second or a third battery because what are you going to do? Are you going to go somewhere you know, and fly a drone for 10 minutes or 11 minutes and then that's it? You, you you know you, you're you're selling yourself short if you do that. You're going to need a second and a third battery so you can send it up for another ten minutes and maybe a third ten minutes. That's the only way you'll really get uh, decent footage. So that means shelling out for the full Flymore uh, combination pack, and that costs around a thousand euro. I think it's a thousand and fifty euro. It costs certainly in uh, Irish shops. Um, a few common questions for people who haven't flown drones before. Uh, Number one, what happens if it flies out of range or you lose connection with the controller? Simple, it comes right back to where it took off. And that's because the drone, like almost all modern drones, they connect, they have a a connection permanently to several satellites at any one time, five or six satellites above. And it records exactly where it uh, took off so that if, if for any reason it loses connection with the remote control or it's running low on battery, for example, It immediately stops what it's doing and flies back to or starts flying back to the GPS coordinates from where it took off. That is quite reassuring, especially if you're flying over water, which I often do. I often fly it out uh, over the coast in depopulated uh, areas. Do you need a license? No, you don't. But there are a few provisos. If your drone is over a kilogram in weight, you have to register it with the Irish Aviation Authority, IAA.ie. The last time I did that, because I did it for the Phantom 4 drone, um, it only cost a fiver to do. And that's in case the thing falls out of the sky uh, or you know is involved in some other scenario and they want to know who's responsible. Perfectly logical reasons, but you need to do that. If it's under a kilogram, which the Mavic Air is, you don't need to register it as of the time of this podcast. Um, So that's a loophole that the IA might want to look at. Uh, Question number three, where can you fly it? You cannot fly it over cities or towns or housing estates or anywhere where there's going to be a lot of people uh, or a lot of property. Um, And that's, again, for very good reasons. So I tend to fly it only in fairly remote areas, rural areas, sort of scenic spots, you're not of life, You're generally not allow, allowed to fly it over a national monuments. So you you can't really fly it over Glendalock, You can't fly it over the Hill of Tara. You can't fly it over, you know, um, uh, like monastic ruins if they're part of uh, uh, some protected area. It's actually really quite restricted where you can fly a drone in Ireland and in most countries that I've I've gone to. That doesn't put me off flying a drone because I still think you can get an awful lot of beautiful footage. You can usually just go to any sort of depopulated area and then fly it over the coast and you get some amazing uh, footage. Question number four, can I travel with it? Yes, you can. I've, As I said, I've taken mine to the US and it fits really nicely uh, into, it doesn't even take up a whole travel bag. It takes up just one small part of your travel, travel bag. And I'm talking about the Mavic Air here. And the only thing is you need to Uh, bring your spare batteries on your bag in the plane with you because you're not allowed to pack spare batteries in a suitcase uh, in the hold with most airlines. You've got to bring them in in your um, carry-on. The last question is, um, what happens if you have a problem with it or you get an error message or uh, etc.? And this will happen because every few weeks DJI, the company that makes Mavic Air, issues a new firmware upgrade or it seems like every few weeks and you need to check this before planning to fly it. I've been caught by this before where you try to fire it up and you're out in the field somewhere and it says, sorry, but this needs a new firmware upgrade and you're like, you know, you're screwed because you've no access to decent broadband to download it and it's total pain in the neck. Um, Personally, I found that it's also worth taking out the, the DJI Care Refresh program, which is kind of there uh their insurance program and that's because uh it you are very very likely if you fly your drone a lot you're very likely to you know crash it into a tree or like something will will happen to it uh i've had to use this dji care refresh program um i had to send the dji spark back and they replaced it for 49 euro um the DJI Care Refresh costs €99, euro, uh, and you, you take it out. And it's valid for 12 months from the time that you buy it. But it's uh, it's well worth it because you get up to two replacement drones at a cost of 50 quid each time. The only thing to bear in mind is that it is a replacement. So if you send them a broken drone or something that got water on it, which is fine, that's, that they'll cover that, you need to send them the drone. So if it crashes into the sea... that's your own fault if you can't if you can't actually retrieve the drone then you can't send it to them uh, for a replacement you're on your own overall the verdict i would say thumbs up on this drone with the provisos that i have made if you're interested in getting a drone uh, this is the best drone to get so let's move on a couple of other things you might be interested in uh portable speakers bluetooth speakers this is one that comes up an awful lot and there are literally dozens if not hundreds of portable Bluetooth speakers that you can buy in Irish shops there are two new ones that I've looked at relatively recently that I've been impressed with one budget option and one not at all budget option Uh, the budget option is from Sony it's the XB10 extra Base. it's a small uh, very small Bluetooth speaker but with surprisingly good audio out of and it costs 69 euro and that's worth it uh, as a battery life around 12 hours Ten hours, anyway. Uh, so if you're going somewhere and y- you know you you want reasonably decent audio from something that you can pack into a bag easily and that charges up easily using um, uh, an old like a, uh, a USB micro USB charger, the same type you get for an old Android phone, this is a good option to get. The high-end one that I tried recently is actually from Bang & Olufsen of all companies. I would normally never go near Bang & Olufsen because it's just way too expensive. However, they do have a very, very high-quality portable wireless speaker called the Beoplay uh, P6. And it's around the same size as sort of small to medium-sized wireless speakers, uh, some of which are cheaper, most of which are cheaper than this because it costs €399. Euro. Uh, however... The P6 is trading on two things, audio quality and a little bit of extra design. So it is a very good-looking speaker. It's very, very sleek. It has a, a little lovely little handle built into it as well. But the audio quality is actually excellent from it, like really, really, like really good. Um, is it better than the audio from speakers you'll get from UE or from Philips or from Sony for maybe €250? I would say marginally it is. Um, it's, it's definitely up there with the likes of Bose. I also have a Bose portable uh, wireless speaker, and that's fantastic. But again, that costs about €350 Euro, um, as well. Um, so would I recommend it over those speakers? You won't be disappointed if you buy it. The design is lovely and the, the audio is excellent. You will get similar speakers for about €100 Euro, less than that. Uh, E-readers is something that I've come back to in the last eighteen months because I'm not reading enough books, and one of the reasons I'm not reading enough books is I really can't be bothered picking up hardback or softback books, especially not bringing them around with me. So I've I've gone back to e-readers, but I can't use an Amazon Kindle because it's too bloody small. The the screen on it is a six-inch screen, and. My eyesight is not what it was, and I just can't stand clicking through a page after I've read like five lines. So I did find an alternative, and it's the Kobo Aura 1 e-reader. It's €250 from Argos. Sometimes it's cheaper than that, actually. Just check that price uh, from time to time. Um, But it has an 8-inch screen, and the difference between an 8-inch screen and a 6-inch screen is actually it's about 60% bigger. You wouldn't think so from the sound of the specs, but it's considerably bigger. And it is well worth it. Eight inches across. Um, if you're worried about ebook choices, don't be. Kobo, particularly outside the US, Kobo is really the only mainstream competitor to the Kindle. Uh, so there are millions and millions of books. If there's any bestseller you can think of, it's there. Most of the catalog stuff, it's there as well. I've, you know, gotten an awful lot of stuff. Um, uh, on it, absolutely terrific on holidays. That's one I definitely recommend: the Kobo Aura One e-reader. Now, a quick word about how you power all this stuff. Portable power banks are something that I think everybody should have. Uh, I have a couple of them, but the best value one that I've come across recently—I just bought it last week was from Harvey Norman it's currently on sale at 24 euros a 10,000 milliamp battery on it so that will recharge your flagship smartphone at least twice probably more uh it'll also probably flag your uh, or recharge your full ta- your full size tablet 10 inch tablet um more than once at least probably one one and a half times and that costs 24 euros. It's the Trust Primo Power Bank. The Trust Primo Power Bank. I bought it for 24 euros. It's on sale from 29 euros. It is a bit plasticky. It's a bit rough and ready in terms of its design, but it's still relatively compact. It's about the same size as, as a regular smartphone, and it's about half the price of a lot of the other power banks that you will get with the same battery backup. So that's one that I would recommend. In terms of... Earphones and headphones, they're two that I'd recommend, mainly because I use them myself, and I found them to be the best in class from all of the rivals that I've tried. On the headphones, Sony's MDR-1000X Mark II, actually the Mark I or the Mark II, absolutely fantastic. really really comfortable to wear the leather on them is nice and soft the audio quality is absolutely superb so they're noise cancelling headphones and if you don't if you've never tried noise cancelling headphones you don't really know how they work they're quite clever because they use a micro microphone to invert the audio frequencies that they detect uh particularly with the white noise outside so anything from you know on a plane the The sound, the background sound of an engine to buzzes or hums in the air, and they really, really cancel them out very, very uh, effectively. Um, So, uh, so that's Sony's MDR one thousand X. They cost around three hundred and thirty euro, so not cheap, but well worth it if you're in the uh, market for um, premium. Uh, wireless headphones. On the earphones, earphones are quite a lot trickier because people have different requirements. Like some people want sports earphones, for example, that they can run with. Uh, and that usually means wireless because the problem with wired earphones is that when you're running, you've got it hooked into your phone or whatever. Um, that wire, that dangling cable frequently uh, will cause you to lose control of your phone. The only uh, phone screen i've ever cracked in my life was because i was trying to jog with wired earphones so the ones that i use are actually apple's airpods and they're 179 euro they're about a year old the reason i choose the, uh, uh, those um over quite a few other brands wireless earphones is the audio quality two reasons the audio quality is actually better for any, I, I've never come across a pair of earphones for under wireless earphones for under two hundred euro um, that has audio quality as good as the Apple AirPods, uh, and that's you can go off and test them all yourself, go into a shop and test them. But in my experience, they have the best, they have the best audio quality. Second reason is they don't fall out of your ear, or they don't fall out of my ear. Now you've probably seen the Apple AirPods, and they they kind of look a little bit weird, almost like an experimental earrings or something or some sort of they look like you have your ear pierced and you've got a big white stick coming out of your earlobe. not a big white stick but a small thin white stick so some people don't really care for the design of them I, it doesn't really bother me at all but this big surprise to me is how they don't fall out of my ears and I mean I've gone running you know dozens of times with them not once has one even come close to being dislodged from my ear so that's a really important factor because the biggest fear in getting the um, Apple's AirPods is that you will lose one of them or both of them or they'll fall out of your ear and you won't notice. Maybe that has happened to some people. It has definitely not happened to me so they would be the ones that I would recommend. Now, a quick word on cameras uh, and any long-term, long-time podcast listeners. to This podcast will know I am a big camera buff and my biggest problem is choosing which camera to uh, uh, for when I go away and that usually chops and changes. I'm going to Recommend two based on what I think are the general requirement for cameras. And I'm choosing two from one company, even though I don't really shoot that much from this one company. And there's no commercial um, consideration here or anything at all, but they both happen to be Panasonic cameras. So I would say the, you could almost describe as the ultimate travel camera, is, I would argue, is probably Panasonic's FZ 2000. It's 960 euro, and the reason that it's the ultimate travel camera is because for two reasons. First of all, it takes really good photos. I've tested this; uh, it takes really, really good, good photos. It has a sensor on it that it's not as good as bigger sensors that you'll find in some Canons or Fujis or Nikon's, but it's big enough to take decent photos, and it has a, tw- a massive. 20x zoom. So, this is a built in all in one ca- super zoom camera. this big 20x zoom, which is roughly the equivalent of 24 millimeter, which is very wide for landscapes and detail, uh, indoor shots, to 480 millimeters. So, the reason that's important to me is that, like, leave aside things like going on safari, which most of us don't do, it would be very handy in that um, instance. But when you're on holidays in particular in the summertime, if you're like me, I like photographing things like sunrises and sunsets. And to do that, you need two things. You either need a very wide lens or you need a big zoom. And the re- most people don't think of the big zoom. But if you have a super zoom lens and you zoom in on a sunset or an object that's silhouetted by a sunset, you'll be blown away by the photograph you get back without any significant photographic skill. So that's why I think that is a really, really good. Um, travel camera. If you're looking for a cheaper option um, as I said the other the other one I would look at is also a Panasonic Lumix camera and again there is no association here, it just happens, that's the way it falls uh, and that's the FZ82 and it's 329 euro it's an 18 megapixel um, camera and that has an even bigger zoom, it's a monster zoom, a 60 times zoom which is like a ridiculous 1200mm It has superb image stabilization as well. So if you want to let that zoom all the way out, you will actually get a relatively sharp shot in good light now, not in bad light, but in good light, you'll get a relatively sharp shot. And again, that is terrific for getting individual features uh, when you're on holidays. Um, Will I be bringing either of those cameras away with me? No, I won't. Why? Because I don't own either of them. I only tested them. Um, The ones that I will be bringing away with me will be one of... The Canon 60 Mark II, which I recently bought, and I only bought it because of the flip-out screen. I have lots of Canon lenses. It's kind of big and bulky, though, even though it does have very good quality. Um, I will bring at least one Fuji camera. I have a Fuji X-Pro2 and a Fuji X100F. Uh, and both are great cameras. The X100F is brilliant, even though it's a fixed 35mm lens because it's small and it's light. And then... There's a, there's, another, there's a Leica camera, which I might bring. Um, so I'll bring two of those cameras with me, but I will bring something that has a decent zoom. So I'll bring a zoom lens and a wide-angle lens and then a, um, a, a normal lens. But they're the two I would recommend if you're starting from scratch. So that's about all I have time for this week. Hope you stayed with me for as much of it as possible. Hope the product recommendations in particular were useful or helpful. If there's anything you think I should be covering, you know, drop me a line, contact me on Twitter at Adrian Weckler or drop me a line at aweckler at independent.ie. I'm happy to look at stuff that you think that we should be covering. Uh, Other than that, thanks again for listening. Thanks for supporting the show. Um, And uh, until next week, that's me, Adrian Weckler, tech editor from the Irish and Sunday Independent saying goodbye for now.